G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Uh, We'll put our best foot forward over this next hour. As you know, the Bible starts at the beginning, where God created the heavens and the earth. And for lots of people, especially those outside of the Christian church, there is some controversy in that because they don't even believe that there is a God. And the Bible ends with the book of Revelation, describing the end times or the last days. Well, today we're looking for a connection between the two. We're looking into the idea that there are bookends that bring the middle part to life. We'll be discussing the idea that we can understand the beginnings and the end more clearly when we realize that they are connected. You might know that Jesus Christ is described as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Your imagination might run wild about whether these are the end times or the last days that we live in right now when you consider biblical predictions about signs that the last days have begun. Things like wars and rumors of wars, global pandemics, the changes in the climate, They may be easy to connect with biblical prophecy and the imagery of last times. A discussion today around the beginning and the end with a very special guest that you'll be familiar with, John Mackay, the creation guy, the founder of Creation Research, back with us. Hello, John. Welcome back to 2020. Good day, Neil, and it's good to be with you with this rather interesting and sometimes a little different uh, discussion, which has grown out of the fact that in the last 10 weeks, our commoner sort of question is, how, what's happening out there? Well, we've got a little chaos that we weren't used to uh, in this past year. Things seem to be floating along very nicely. All of a sudden, the pandemic comes and mixes into people's lives and things get a little bit more uh, chaotic. People ask, why is this happening? How can this be happening? I thought our humanist leaders were able to control everything. Obviously not, John. Well, it's got worse than that, Neil, because the people who have been in touch with us have exhibited a fear that we haven't noticed before. Uh, like one young dad said, what am I going to teach my kids? What's going to happen? Uh, what about homeschooling? What about uh, jobs? What's, what's going to happen? How do, we, how do we survive? And just last night, about 10.30, a young lady said, should I get a COVID shot? I can't get a job with my employer unless I do. What's going on? And you think, man, this is, and, and, and then there's the others who say, how does it fit in to the biblical picture? Please help uncertainty is the word that comes Mm. to my mind uh, when we talk about the way we deal with things that don't go the way we thought they would. Uh, You've got this uncertainty that creeps in and uh, that, of course, can lead to uh, us feeling very unsettled. And as you say, then people say, uh, what am I going to do? I don't know what the future holds. Mm. So if we're looking at the Bible, uh, first days, last days. Uh, you've got the you know the book of Genesis at the beginning. You've got Revelation mm-hmm. at the end. Uh, you've been talking about this of recent times and bringing a connection here. 
How ought we understand at the beginning of a conversation like this that could go anywhere, I might say, but uh, understanding the connection between the beginning and the end? Okay, two things. Um, The first is I'll be in Adelaide next week and this is going to be a theme all through the 10 days I'm in Adelaide. So those of you down there, check with us, find out where we're going to be because today is preliminary stage one, right? Uh, Step number two is that, yes, years ago, I was blessed by Dr. Henry Morris because he brought out a book on Revelation, right? Now, he was mostly known for dealing with Genesis. God bless his heart. He was brave enough to take a stand and say, the Bible's true. Whether we understand it or not, it's actually true in science as well as theology. So going from then on, if you look at Genesis and you look at Revelation, it's certainly true. Chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 21, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. You know one of the things I love to do, Neil? I go into church and I say, okay, everybody grab your Bible, open up at the first book of Revelation. And they open up at the book of Revelation. I said, no, no, that's the last book of Revelation. The first book is Genesis because we couldn't have figured out any of those first six days unless it was revealed to us. There was no human observer. This is the first book of Revelation. And if you were there reading the angel daily, right, the angels who are watching, the angels could have written, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. Ah, and so there's a matching between chapter 1 of Genesis and chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. So that that's the broadest general thing you can look at. Genesis 1, God made the world good. In Revelation, God's going to make it, and so it only ever is good because in Genesis 3, the curse comes. In Revelation 20, 21, and 22, there is no more curse. Now, I'm looking forward to that, Neil, because I'm looking forward to when there's no politicians, no dangerous dance to ban cows pooing like it's just done in Victorian things like that. And you and I are not afflicted by the things that have come into this world since Genesis 3 and which Revelation promises us will be removed, not just temporarily, not just sort of get a shot for it, right, but removed forever. Lots of listeners will have a broad idea of the story as it unfolds in Genesis and a broad idea of the story as it unfolds in the book of Revelation. Is it appropriate if we're going to understand these things and to actually have our minds comprehend the sort of conversation we're having today to think about this a little bit like we might think of a movie? Uh, You have a great movie, the book of Genesis. Then you have a sequel to the movie, the book of Revelation. The idea of a book that unveils beginnings and then unveils the end. Is this a good way to think about how we might get a conversation like this and everybody on the way with us? It's a pretty good way of doing it, except if you watch the book of Genesis movie, you'd end up saying, is that all there is? Because you see, sin has come in. Even Abraham doesn't make it. Uh, I mean, he's a good bloke. He's right, more righteous than you and me, probably. But there's no fulfillment of it. So yes, you're looking at Genesis. Sin comes in. Kill off a few dozen sheep. Kill off a thousand sheep. And you still haven't solved the problem. So you're left hanging. The book of Revelation fills it in because the Lamb of God has come and now he's not just been the sacrifice, but he's opened up to the promised eternal life on a new heavens and a new earth with no politicians, no struggles, no wars, no fighting. So yes, it is a good way, but... If you go back to the book of Genesis, I hope whoever does the movie actually throws in just a tad of Revelation and 1 Peter because they both say Christ was sacrificed 
before the foundation of the world. So the author of the movie, the author of Genesis rather, has already got the end in mind. It's tough for you and me to come to grips with this, but it really helps, particularly when you say, everything's out of control. I mean, I met one businessman, I said, how do you run your business? He said, it just runs me. If I can go to Tasmania, I just get on a plane and go because I don't know if I'll be able to go next week. And yet we live in a world where we, we can say, Jesus has got it under control no matter who's president of the USA. Okay, so we've got a, a movie at the beginning, Genesis. We've got a sequel at the end. Uh, This is an inadequate illustration, though, because uh, we're not just talking about a movie here or a work of fiction. We're actually in the picture here. We're actually in the history of the world. You and I, we can sort of pinch ourselves and, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm here. You know, I'm here in the middle of it. All this uncertainty, all the chaos that can come when things go wrong. How do we here, John, take some level of uh, of uh, of comfort, of encouragement from the fact that we have Genesis as a foundation and we have some insight into what comes at the mm-hmm. end. What does that do for the Christian who has hope in the present? Okay, remember Shakespeare, the whole world is a stage and every person's an actor. And of course, the trouble is his play is always finished. They're over and done with, right? But the play we're in is actually continuing and it's a day by day, blow by blow. And you say, okay, I can't go overseas. I want to go to my son's wedding in in October. I can't even plan anything. And you get really frustrated until you realize, hey, down the road, I can still travel down there here in Australia. And there's someone there who needs to know Jesus and he needs to know Jesus now. So I can't go to Japan, I can't go to England, I can actually witness to Christ because my confidence is in Christ who's real and that confidence does not depend on COVID regulations, right? And this would be because if we're looking at Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, what we're seeing here when we talk about the Bible and uh, you know, for people who are minimizing the impact of the Bible It, in fact, gives us an idea of God's master plan. And so he's not taken by surprise when there are climate change challenges, when there are global pandemics. He's not taken by surprise in that. In in one sense here, would you say that all of those things that do happen, even wars and rumors of wars, are a part of the master plan? The reality is, in the end, you have to say, yes, God is bigger than the stage we're just on. So simple illustration, you brought up climate change. When you ask a question like, are there any snowstorms mentioned in the New Testament? No. The result, the Romans could travel everywhere. They could build roads to the end of the empire. The apostles had it made. They could just pack up their bags and leave Jerusalem and head up to, you know, to England even, right? It was already prepared. The Romans had conquered the world. The climate was so good. So there is God who absolutely, no matter what the government say, he claims to be the God of the weather and he prepared the way for them. At the same time, you have with the book of Revelation, you have John on the island of Patmos. He's got plenty of time on his hands to write a book, right? Plenty of time to not be sidetracked by the emperor Domitian. He's put him there, but yet he actually uses it. God gives him a vision. He's got tons of writing time, right? So he's free to write, and God uses it. Domitian's going to die in 96 AD. John gets off the island, and the book of Revelation is now released to us to give us a glimpse of, hey, John said, I can trust in God. You can trust in God. He's the sovereign God. And as much as you and I struggle with saying, 
Did he plan sin? Well, he planned salvation, right? He knew every option. He had it covered. He's covered the weather. He's covered all of these things. And we need to know that to have confidence in the worst of times. John, let's get into some of the nitty-gritty, and there's so much to cover. I'm not sure we'll be able to cover every element and dimension of this conversation, but let's talk about some of the ways that we can look at the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, mm-hmm. and we can connect it to the book of Revelation, this uh, this end-time revelation unveiling of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's talk about perhaps the idea of light and you know the sun and the moon a day four of creation, you know, the sun and the moon appear. Mm-hmm. And so people might say, well, where did the light come from before the sun and the moon? Uh, how could anyone see anything? Give us your impression here about okay. the creation account and then connection to Revelation. Okay, the two things you mentioned are treated separately in Scripture. And, of course, it's a good place to sneak in a commercial for creationresearch.net. Click Q&A, insert the word light. Right, because in Genesis 1, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, it says, And God said, Let there be light. Now, this God is none other than Jesus Christ, so that God the Father is involved, the Holy Spirit is involved, but everything is made through Christ and for Christ. So hence he said when he came, I am the light of the world. Right, so this light is created in Genesis. Now, later on in day four, you read, and he made the sun, the moon, and the stars also. Just something to do for the afternoon. (laughs) I mean, this is a great and mighty God we're talking about. And uh, yet you have day and night before you have the sun, moon, and stars. So it ought not to surprise us when we see a parallel in Revelation, what is it, 20, 21, 22, where God says, uh, there will be no more night, right? And I will be there like the holy city has come down, the new Jerusalem, and he is going to dwell with his people. He will be light. He's the light of that city. There is no night there. Of course, we can come in, we can go out. There's still tourism probably in the, in the best of senses. But in reality, in that city, we do not need the sun or the moon or the stars. Now, I just need to make one comment before anyone asks it. That doesn't mean there isn't a sun and moon and stars. It just means in that city, we don't need it anymore. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Well, if you are just joining us, joining into a conversation with John Mackay, the creation guy. And we're talking about the bookends of the Bible, Genesis and the book of Revelation. And just before we get into that, John, uh, you've got some expansion that's been going on uh, with so far as your creation museums go. And uh, there's a number of new ones to add to the corral. Uh, Give us an idea what's been happening with it. Ten years ago, uh, we met with our uh, Tasmanian team and some of their supporters and uh, we put together a plan to get a creation museum going down there. Now, the good news is after much struggle and much waiting in a COVID year that bans all tourists, basically, it finally is open in Tasmania. So uh, just north of Launceston, you find Beauty Point and on the harbour there where you've got Platypus World and Seahorse World, we're right in the middle. So you want to see the evidence of creation, the flood, Babel and Bible and beyond, uh, you can go along and see our still small work, but nevertheless, it's wonderful and join the crowd down there, take your friends and your enemies, show them that God's word is truth and begin. So that's new. But out of that has grown the concept, okay, we've now got a museum in Canada. 
We've now got one here in Queensland, Australia. We want a second one somewhere down the Gold Coast, right? And we've got two potential ones coming up in England. So introducing the Creation Discovery Network, all these separate museums under one banner where you can go from one to the other. We can swap our materials and it's looking really good. So praise the Lord. It's a real step forward and we can now finally say it's it's getting there. And just as you say, swap our materials, if you have a network of creation museums, mm-hmm. uh, you've got a vast array of yes. fossil yes. Uh, uh, pieces that you've got on show. Uh, you can actually furnish a whole bunch of museums with what you have stashed in the back shed right now. <laughs> That's true. And, and, and so you can actually then uh, have a, a way that you can... Uh, change those, uh, move yes. them on to or from one to the other, and you can have opportunity for people interstate uh, to be able to have access to these wonderful mm-hmm. uh, pieces that you've got on display. Now, you mentioned Southeast Queensland. Mm-hmm. Why would Southeast Queensland be a priority for you? Well, you know we've already got Jurassic Ark, and hint, hint, wing, wing, nudge, nudge, all you people who haven't been there yet, go and look up Jurassic Ark on our website. It's in Come Gimpy. and visit us. It's Gimpy. in Gympie. And that's, of course, a blessing and a difficulty. That's where we found the fossils. It was cheaper to build the museum there than to shift all the fossils that because they're in the ground and we want to leave them there. So that's an outdoor, come dig it up, come enjoy a botanic gardens, etc. on 10 hectares. Um, what we need is a tourist museum, just like the little one we've got in Tasmania, but on a bigger scale, somewhere in the tourist block between the busiest section in Queensland and in Australia, Caloundra through to Coolangatta and sort of even back to Toowoomba where there's you know an international airport now. So that's the busiest and most packed section and a great place to remind people God's word is truth moving. Come and see the rock solid evidence. So we've got thousands of fossils. You mentioned swapping them. I've got three more fossil crocodiles in my back shed, right? So there's tons of this evidence around the planet and where we're just praising the Lord that we can actually, we've got enough here right now. I think I've got about 15,000 trilobites to put on display. So the Lord has blessed us abundantly, but we are looking for a building and a place where people can park. You know, parking is the most difficult park these days. If you want to do a tourist thing, you've got to guarantee enough space for a thousand people or something before they'll even sort of let you sort of build a building or borrow one. So you're interested in a collaboration, and if there are listeners, and you know there's a site, could be a possibility in southeast Queensland somewhere, uh, or if you're around the nation, in no matter where you might be, and you think we've got a site here that could make a great creation museum, uh, just be in touch with John Mackay, the creation guy at Creation Research. No doubt he'd like to talk to you, and there could be some level of collaboration and get something going in all the states around Australia. I'll give them an example of, of the collaboration that it's worked so far. Uh, we've had a museum, a tiny one in Norfolk, right? Young Joseph, who you've had on the program here. And Joseph, of course, got married. And uh, that's not one more fossil for his collection. That's a living, living, wonderful blessing. But he and his wife are moved, uh, moved over near the edge of Wales, right? And in their local town, there's not an abandoned building, but it's a beautiful building from the 1800s, you know, when the rich people used to build churches. And this is just glorious, but it's hardly used. And so the congregation said, if we give you this for use, would you put a museum here? And you think, wow, this is on the road from England through Wales, etc. It's glorious. So that's a collaborative one uh, where the church owns the property. They're willing to let it to us for a great price that we can afford like nothing or a dollar or a pound a year or whatever. And the same is true in Wales where one of the churches said, listen, we're building a new building. The top half of the floor is for you. 
right? And they're so enthusiastic because I won a debate that their pastor went to. So they they grabbed the vision that people need to know they can trust God's word. So that's the sort of collaboration that we are really encouraging. Let's come back to our conversation. We're talking about bookends, the creation account in Genesis connected to the Revelation account in the book of Revelation. Before we move on, let's take a call because our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call, first of all, from Anne in Labrador in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome along. Anne, are you with us? Anne, uh, you might like to try and call us back. Something's happened to that call. Anne, are you with us? No, we'll have to uh, take a call and you can call us back. Let's come to the idea we've talked about. Some of the things that are happening today and the way that we will often uh, read into the account of the scriptures, those things that are happening today, and uh, we wonder whether that's a relevant thing to do or taking caution as to what we might read in, uh, in events in world history, into a scriptural account and saying this must be the end times. Uh, let's talk about what you see as the biggest issues that are going on right now that may be connected to an end times account that we can bring into the picture here, Genesis to Revelation. Mm-hmm. Okay, one thing that I found really helpful, and we did a video years ago called 666, who is 888, right? It's still available, and now our videos are available even as MP4s and uh, what do they call that, streaming, right? But the thought occurred to me, okay, 666, Revelation. All the kids who are into witchcraft know the number 666, and yet the Bible says the man of sin, the man of evil will rise up in the last days. Okay, so you go back to Genesis and you say, why 666? Well, man was made on the sixth day, and man is made in the image of a God who is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. So it shouldn't surprise us that if six is our number, seven is God's number, because he rested on the seventh day. But perhaps it should be 777. The man, his number first was a good one, 666, body, soul, and spirit. But when sin comes in, the man of sin is 666. Our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? right? And we don't like that description of ourselves, but by the time you get to the book of Revelation, there's definitely someone, some group, who's raising up that that evil is so vile that they want to destroy God's people, that they want to destroy everything good that God has done to the point where God will come and judge them and they'll be in the cave shaking their fists, refusing to give in, even though they're losing, right? So there is a place where the picture in Genesis gives you a bit more understanding of this mysterious number. Uh, I don't think it's Joe Biden. Right, no. <laughs> right. All of these things, but yet there is definitely a, an, an increase in evil that you see as the world goes downhill and people abandon God, and we're watching that in a big way in our country at the moment. The number of atheists, the premiers, uh, are coordinating right, so we are seeing a rise in evil. But limitation, folks. We've seen this before, whether you're in Germany or in, in uh, Russia, whatever, when the communists came to power. And only if you knew Jesus saw the other end. Jesus got you through the worst of times as well as the best of times. That's where it comes to real help. Okay, so keep your eye on the rise of authoritarianism yes. because what it is doing, and in our Australian context we can see it, uh, doing away with the freedoms 
that allow us to worship freely, and that's can I key. just can I just interrupt that that thought there because the work of people like Martin Niles, right, is very very vital because they're willing to stand up and say, "I'm going to be counted." Uh, shoot at me if you like, but you know, like our local MP, there's a Christian, Mark Robinson, right, and. He's one of the guys who gets out there and says, okay, here's what's right, here's what's wrong. Now, you'll find what, what one thing that's needed, if you're worried out there about Australia becoming more and more evil and abandoning its Christian roots, well, you're about 40 years too late because our Attorney General years ago declassified Australia as Christian. But what we need now is more and more Christian men and women to stand up and say, I'm going to be counted. Uh, I'm going to make sure this turns around. And it has been turned around in the past. You you may be blessed by being one of those. Join Martin Niles, join the, the Liberal Party, whatever you can. Stand up and be counted over these issues before it's too late. Okay, taking calls, 1-800-316-316. We have Anne back on the line from Labrador. Hello, Anne, welcome. Yes. Yeah, I'm going a little bit way off. Um, this um, COVID injection, mm-hmm. um, is it from... Is it um, that God wants us to have it or do we just keep trusting the Lord and not having it and I don't know because they're going to make it that we, where we ever we go as far as I, I'm seeing that we can't travel or anything and so I just want to know where it's whether it's man-made or whether God wants us to use it or whatever it is. I've been told not to have it in certain areas, so I don't know what is the right way and the wrong way with that. Okay, there's so many questions in there. I'll just try and take a couple of them. Because one of our ladies is a medical biologist, so I, I spoke to her yesterday. I said, listen, when I go to South Australia, they are going to ask me, how does this work? How's the new one with the RNA work? All of these things, right? So when you have a think about it, I'll give you the broadest spectrum possible and then answer some of your specific questions. When you have a look at, say, uh, immunisation in general, the people who invented it, um, there's nothing wrong with what they did. They noticed that the girls who milked cows never got smallpox. So intuition, perhaps cowpox and smallpox related, take dead cowpox and inject it into people and... 99.9% of the time, it stopped you getting serious smallpox. Now, that doesn't mean much to people in Australia because you've never seen smallpox. Come with me to India where you'll still find a lot of the scars of this on some of the older people. But sometimes it killed people. Okay, you go ahead to medical drugs like aspirin. Unknown to most people, aspirin does a wonderful job, except sometimes it kills people. Right, So we have a weakness in our whole physical system which is not necessarily cured by immunizations or by medicines. The Bible says we were made in God's image. We were made without fault. Sin came in and then from then on things have gone downhill. So there's nobody sick. And I repeat, nobody sick before Noah's flood. The first person listed as sick is Job. No immunizations available, no injections, no pills. Didn't need them, right? Since then, we've been dying younger and younger, and we've had more and more afflictions with our bodies. I guarantee there are some people with COVID who will never have any effects. So two of my friends, he got COVID, she got COVID. He showed absolutely no symptoms. He's obviously automatically immune. His immune system is in such good shape. She got sick. Next day, she's in hospital. Five days later, she's dead. 
praise the Lord, she's a Christian, right? She's, she's better off than you and I are. Uh, but in reality, that's how people react to it. Now, going right down the other end of the line, I have no doubt that politicians, I said this about climate change and I'll repeat it about COVID. I, I said many times, if politicians can't get their one world order imposed through climate change, they'll find some other way. And this was way before COVID. So there are many politicians who are trying to use it to actually control uh, travel, etc. Now, you may be one of those who, like a nurse in our church, was told by the hospital, don't have it. Your immune system is compromised. You have a thyroid problem. Don't have the injection, right? So you'll find that there are quite a few people who have to seriously think about their own health before they get an immune system. You might be like me. I even react badly to flu shots, so the doctor has written me out, you are authorised to not have flu shots if I need to get into nursing homes to do ministry and things like that. So it covers the whole spectrum. Let's take a call from a listener. Adam is in Warhope in New South Wales. Hello, Adam. Welcome. Oh, good morning uh, or good afternoon. It's New South Wales here. So, for Neil and uh, John, um, I'm very encouraged by the uh, discussions today. I'm just in. The, I've just finished Revelation. You know, going through the Bible and mm-hmm. just started in Genesis mm-hmm. again the last couple of weeks. Um, Tower of Babel, chapter 11 in Genesis, is a great encouragement for me. Yep. Going this time around again, yep. just going with what we've been through. It, it, it really describes, you know, we all join together as humans. God said, oh, God, you know, these guys are going to go crazy. They're, they're capable of doing absolutely anything. Um, and he put a stop to it. Yeah. Uh, and, and then scattered us all over the earth and, and gave us all different languages. And at the moment, we've got these crazy dictators left, right and centre, as we had, you know, 80, 80 years ago, which my, you know, my grandfather fought for six years for, against mm-hmm. and all this sort of thing. And uh, we've got that sort of thing rising up again. And they're all, but they're starting to sort of fight on each other now. This is what I'm seeing the difference at that time. They're starting to eat each other. Adam, you're raising some good points here. Let's get a thought or two from John. This idea of Tower of Babel, connections to end times. All right. Uh, You'll find that in the Tower of Babel, where man was commanded in Noah's day to spread out and fill the earth and multiply, right? Within 200 years, they'd formed a trade union. They weren't going nowhere, right? They'd build a headquarters, and God said, okay, enough is enough. He gave them different languages and spread them out. But you're quite right in saying in Genesis 11, verse 6, if I remember correctly, God says, look what they are about to do. Now nothing will be impossible to them. Now that's a slap in the back and a kick in the teeth at the same time. It's a comment on man, and it still applies. We would seek to create life if we could. We would seek to reach the ends of space if we could. We would seek to do anything except humble ourselves before the almighty sovereign God has already done all the above, right? And he told us to multiply and fill the earth. So there's point number one. Point number two, when you look at uh, our situation here in Australia, we have got people of every ethnicity, every race, right? Every language in the, in, 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 on, on the earth, right? And we have leaders who seek to manipulate that. Now, to go one step further, your comment on the fact that they are starting to eat each other, be encouraged because no new Tower of Babel will work at the human level. God split it up once, and the very thing that he gave us different languages is enough to keep us apart. So a global 
conspiracy is doomed to fail, right? So there's a point of encouragement if you're into conspiracy theories. And that's why God says in Isaiah, don't call a conspiracy, which I don't call a conspiracy, because I am the Lord, right? He is in charge. That's the point. Uh, When you go to one step further and you think, say, okay, Corinth. Corinth was the gift of tongues. The reversal of Babel? No, there are just as many divisions amongst the churches as there were at the Tower of Babel in a real sense. So that didn't work. But in the new heavens and new earth, the point that is to be noticed is that there are many nations there. So it would seem that those divisions that God introduced that gave rise to our various what we call racial groups, right, those racial divisions are still there, but we now have one language, we have one worship, we have one God, we have one place of fellowship, and we'll probably all be recognizable. So the president of Africa, the president of America, if they're Christians, they will be just as recognizable in their ethnicity, despite their oneness in Christ. Have a read of the Revelation 21, 22, and you'll get that picture that all the nations are there. Amen. And we're not fighting. Adam, does that uh, does that shed light on the question you were asking around the Tower of Babel? Oh, yes, certainly. I mean, that, and that's and the other thing of encouragement too. It points to is if, if all Christians just stop fighting and getting together, that I mean, that's that would just show the power if we just all got on the word. Um, that's all we have to really do as Christians, and and it, it would it would be so powerful. And uh, that's what's sort of in line to me. You know, this Adam, time around in Genesis, powerful thoughts there. A house divided against itself will not stand, and uh, there are some challenges there in that comment too, Adam, around where the body of Christ is and being able to unite and uh, just uh, thank you so much Adam for your call before we move on from that of course uh, being able to unite uh, when we talk about the second coming of Christ uh, we're talking about things that happen in the book of Revelation uh, there are some things that unite us Mm -hmm. and uh, one of those things that unites the Christian churches of course is the wonderful ecumenical creeds that came out of the early centuries of the church and if we're going to unite theologically it's usually around those creeds there's no doubt about it that those they're not naive but they are a simplified version and they're the ones the church used uh, I mean we didn't have a printed Bible until the 1500s so when we talk about your daily Bible reading this is a new thing right we had a faithful pastor who would faithfully preach uh, I mean you look at the Torah you look at the Bible it wasn't even divided into chapters and verses until the 1400s 1500s so it was a totally different world you had a faithful man who Timothy Paul said pick an elder who is faithful who can teach now that's what we need to do today when i um, meet christians from other backgrounds right i i know they're christians the holy spirit testifies in my spirit i know this it's almost as if i've known them forever right and all of the superficial differences like i i work with aborigines and i don't know if you have but they think we worship our clock and there's a truth to that Right, we got to start the service at ten fifteen a.m. We got to finish at eleven o'clock, right, or whatever. And to them, that's meaningless. Now, there's nothing wrong with a meaningless, uh, a, a, um, a sort of a non-time base if it's a personal fellowship base one. So, yes, we do need to realise that many of the things we fight over are absolutely trivial. 
Okay, let's touch on some more of these connections between the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation. Let's talk river of life for a few moments here. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some things that come to light out of Genesis, and if we're talking about the sequel, the book of Revelation, uh, they're dealt with in the book of Revelation. Let's talk about the river of life. Okay, when you go to Genesis, you find that God puts man in a garden, this garden especially being prepared, and there's a river that runs out of it, right? Now, you need a river because Adam has to drink, right? This is the pure water, and it's going to be associated with his life. So there's your picture, a pure river of water of life, physical life. So point number one, Genesis is a physical picture of a physical creation and even a physical relationship between the first man and first woman. Now, only when you've got that physical picture in your head can you go along to see a metaphorical a poetic or a long-term picture it's built on you understanding the physical picture first there's the tree of life in the midst of the garden right it's set in beautiful things and even the tree of the knowledge of good and evil unknown to most people that's made before god says everything he saw everything he made was very good wow that's a hard one to come to grips with but see he'd already prepared salvation So keep it in mind that that's already there and done as a backdrop to Revelation 20 to 21. Now you go to the book of Revelation and in the last three chapters you see a parallel of the first three chapters including and there flowed forth a pure river of water of life and it says there was no more sea. Now sea doesn't get much of a mention in Genesis just once where it says God gathered the waters into one place and he called the waters sea, singular, right? There was only one sea. By the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, sea's got a pretty bad reputation in the Jewish mind because it's over there, oh, west of those Philistines, you know. It's just Jonah got eaten over there. You know, all this sort of stuff is, is the way they think about it. But what's interesting is the word sea in the book of Revelation is T-H-A-L-A-S-S-A, if you like your Greek. The H-A-L, we still use in our language, we call it halite or salt. So the sea referred to in Revelation that's not going to be anymore is the really salty sea. But the pure river of water of life, what's the word water there? Potamus, as in hippopotamus, right? Potamus as in potable, meaning drinking water. But this water is the one that will keep you alive forever. And the tree of life, because uh, bearing 12 different crops of fruit. Uh, So it's going to be a pretty amazing sort of a tree, and that replaces uh, the tree of life in Genesis. Yeah, well, I'm one of these guys who his dad was growing a pink tree, and I thought, that's the same as this white tree. I wonder if I can put the two together. And I was so thrilled when I succeeded, and then I have a pink and a white tree, right? And I've been able to do that with quite a few different colored flowers of the same thing. And so it is interesting and attractive. When it comes to the tree of life in the book of Revelation, you see not only do we have access again, oh, correlation, back in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, we are kicked out of the garden. We are kicked away from the tree of life. And the Bible is emphatic. God says that man can no longer access the tree of life lest they eat and live forever. If you can't live forever, you are going to die. God had prepared a way. If they can't live forever, I'm going to make sure they will actually die so they can get a new body and a new heavens and new earth when the whole scheme is worked out. And that's what you see in Revelation. We can access the tree of life, but it's not just to keep us alive. It's for the healing of the nations. 
You know, the black people, the white people, hey, I don't like the colour of your skin, right? We're not going to do that anymore. Our, our national fights, our Aussies versus Americans, I mean, they do things wrong on the mission field. They send money, we send people. They, they use money to save time, we save people to save money, right? And so they don't get along, but that's going to go. The tree of life is not just for living forever, it's for healing our national problems. Interesting thought comes to mind here because when we talk about the perfection of what we're introduced to in heaven, the idea of a utopia, and uh, when we talk utopia, normally we're talking about it in terms of what secular people might have in mind as uh, they move towards uh, a secular humanist utopia where everyone gets on because we've got a law that uh, tries to actually met, uh, to regulate everybody. Uh, when we talk about uh, the what is coming in heaven, is it an appropriate term to talk about that sort of idea as a utopia, the expectation that a Christian believer might have a hope for perfection in the future? How do you see that sort of thing, John? Okay, now... Going a little further on your your talking about a human utopia, one of the things that history tells you sooner or later is that law is always retrospective. We don't need a law about gays until gays become an issue. We don't need a law about murder until somebody gets murdered. We never anticipate what's wrong. We only retrospectively legislate it. So what you find is through the Bible, God legislates law so in Genesis chapter 3 we sin but it's a long time until we get the Ten Commandments we are progressively getting worse and worse and then the whole promise is there will come a time when I will write my laws in your heart now the human utopia can do no better than saying this is wrong that's wrong we'll penalize you if you don't it's always on the outside and what we need is a society where people have that law on the inside to do what's right and yet the scripture describes us the heart of man is desperately wicked now I know that's my neighbor but the Bible says it's all of us. So the utopia in the new te- heavens and new earth is one where we have that law of righteousness on our inside, and that law is none other than the person of Jesus. And the idea that humanists might think they have a way of making things perfect, uh, nothing compared to what the plan of God is, uh, because we can come back to uh, the beginning of evil. We can talk about the beginning of Satan uh, introduced in the book of Genesis, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, the end of Satan, the end of sin. Uh, And this connection is a pretty powerful one. It really is. I mean, when you look at our world today and you look at an atheist leader and they think of equality, well, equality to them is where people who thieve are now labelled as sick. They have a thievonomia, right? And so you have to not lock them up, right? And so you'll find that they introduce a totally different moral system because they're coming from outside of God's moral boundary and their system won't work. And reality, only God putting righteousness in it will actually enable us to have a, a universe, a world, a planet, a city. That holy city, that new Jerusalem will only work provided Jesus is central to it. Okay, our Facebook question today is how much do you think climate change and a global pandemic have to do with biblical end times? Just a reminder, talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Susan has responded to the Facebook question. She says, we could be in the end days now, famines, rumours of wars, earthquakes, people have become lovers of self and haters of God. 
The love of many has grown cold, including the church. Sexual immorality is on the rise. Everything that's evil is called good now, and everything good is called evil. If you ask me, we're definitely living in the end times. When we talk chaos... Mm-hmm. It's not just physical things like people might talk about climate change or even the COVID pandemic, a viral pandemic. Uh, these sorts of things that Susan makes reference to as well, these are, uh, these are expressions of chaos. They are expressions of chaos. And you may have noticed in that chaos, we no longer have to talk about climate change. In the last couple of weeks, we have it's retreated back to global warming again. It always was global warming, right? Now they're saying the earth is going to heat up, so they've swapped names as part of the general chaos. But I do need to make a point. There's one advantage, Neil, in getting old, and that is you've seen a lot of this before, uh, so that when you look uh, through history, if you were a Christian in the early days and you're one of those 200 people selected to be eaten by the lions, you really do know you're in the end times, right? And you're saying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, which is what Paul did, right? And he's going to be killed. He's going to be put in jail, etc. He's not going to die a nice old age. Only John of all the apostles dies of a nice old age, around about 100. Uh, so what you find is when the Roman Empire collapses, chaos reigned. There was no way of enforcing that which is good or even punishing that which was evil for a long time. The same is true under communism, under Hitler. You find all of those things. You would say, man, in fact, I learned a good lesson. One of my friends went as a missionary to uh, the Southeast Asia and he came back and he said, John, I'm going to have to rethink my whole eschatology. I said, why? He said, because those Christians over there in Thailand They think they're already in the last days. They've been being put in prison and being killed for their faith for the past hundred years. So be very careful about pinning it down to a specific time of wars and rumors of wars, but keep Jesus Christ at the center of your view at all times. That's the clue to surviving anything. You and I don't know. We see through a glass darkly, but we do know Jesus is coming back. We do know he's Lord of all. That Facebook question, how much do you think climate change and the global pandemic have to do with biblical end times? Ian has a little bit more of, I think, a cynical note. Ian says, nothing. These events will happen regardless of the end times. I don't know why Christians obsess about trying to predict when Jesus returns or whenever there is a bit of crisis, they say the end times are coming. What are your thoughts for Ian? Um, The thoughts are always look forward to the return of Christ. There's one famous saint is on record, you know, if Jesus came back now in, in a week's time, what would you be doing? He said, well, I'd probably continue doing what I should. I, I, I'm doing right now because I'm doing what I should. Now, what should we be doing? If Jesus is coming back and it's going to be next week, you'd better get out and tell your neighbours about him because without Christ, they cannot know. So you and I must always live as if Jesus' coming is immediate, right? That's what we must live. Now, you and I, at the same time, do not know. We must be humble enough to say we do see through a glass darkly. It's easier to look back at Genesis, Neil, than it is to go ahead into 10 years, 20 years down the line. I'm old enough to remember so many prophecies that you know, good, well-meaning Christians have made, they should have been stoned to death for them, right? If they wanted to follow, uh, they were not biblically accurate at all. So there's a truth in what Ian says, but there's also a falsehood. You and I need to live as if Jesus is coming right now. Take another call. Norman is on the line from Innisfail in North Queensland. Hi, Norman. Welcome. Hello. Um, g'day. I was just thought that that line with the new new heaven and new earth and there there will be no sea. 
I had a funny feeling that it might mean that we're not going back to the start, that, that the Master's going to appear from the heavens, um, and that would give rise to the, of the, the, the rapture, the idea of the rapture, you know. Um, what do you think? Well, the Revelation 21 is after any of those normal sort of events. Uh, this is purely, this is the total end times. There's a new heavens and a new earth where indwells righteousness. It's not just the prelude to, prelude to come, something else that's coming after that. This is it, right? So this is the new heavens. It's a new creation. Anything else you put before that is a, an inkling of what will come. But at the same time, Revelation 21 is the final part of the story. And I'm looking forward to being there. Thank you so much, Norman. And we are running out of time. Let's see if we can squeeze in one more quick call. Marguerite is in Rockhampton. Hello, Marguerite. Oh, good morning. How are you? Very um, well. I'm just, yes, I'm just ringing to see. It's exhausting as a Christian to listen to all this global warming. You know, when, when they carry on about global warming. What, what, what's a good way to respond to that as a Christian? Okay, the best way to respond to that is to you personally to say, well, my Jesus actually says if I pray and he will answer. So I need rain and I need it at Jurassic Ark. I'm not going to ask the politicians. They can't do a thing about it. I am going to ask Jesus Christ who promises to deliver to me that which glorifies him. So I pray in his name and for his sake. That's the most easiest way for you to relieve all those stresses. Don't get sidetracked by the politicians, their view. Actually point them to Jesus Christ. So that, that, that's how I'd encourage you. You can spend, I mean, I'll be honest, because I get asked to do seminars and this, I'm the one that has to spend hundreds of hours trawling through the facts and figures showing that less people died last year than they did five years ago You know, in this COVID controversy. You can easily find that if you look up the Bureau of Stats. And, and so what you'll find is i got to do that. But you and I, as average Christians, we need to say, my Jesus is actually a sovereign Lord in this and I rely upon him rather than getting sidetracked by all the stresses. Marguerite, thank you so much for your call and time has run out, John. And I do want to mention uh, that we were talking a little earlier and uh, just to, uh, perhaps it's a a sowing a seed, uh, but you'd love to have contact with some more people who might like to become a part of a network where you can get some more of your creation museums uh, at work here in Australia. Now, you've just opened a wonderful new creation museum in Tasmania. And that's Mm -hmm. a collaboration with a group in Tasmania. It's called the Creation Discovery Centre. Might come on to uh, your itinerary next time you're having a holiday in Tasmania. You've already got the Jurassic Ark in Gympie and you've got Mm -hmm. in in Canada the Creation Research Museum Ontario. Uh, But you did say you'd love to have contact with someone who might be able to be a part of the solution Mm -hmm. in getting something going in southeast Queensland. You've got a preference. the discovery... the, the tourist trip from Coolangatta to Caloundra and back to Toowoomba. That's okay. where we're aiming. And uh, perhaps a zeroing in on the Gold Coast yep. uh, because there's so many visitors internationally when borders are open. Uh, you'd love to see a site opened up there for a museum. So if you have some sort of connection there, some sort of lead, uh, maybe you just want to connect with John Mackay on that possibility, uh, make sure you do that. You can do that best through his creationresearch.net website. 
web website. It's creationresearch.net. Now, you can also find John at askjohnmackay.com. You can find his YouTube channel uh, full of wisdom on a whole lot of great biblical connections to this uh, Genesis Foundation. You can follow John on Facebook. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, You can follow him on Instagram. You can subscribe to free email newsletters. You can get articles, Q&A at Creation Research. There are children's books that you can get from John Mackay, the creation guy, in the Vision Store. You can simply go to vision.org.au. You'll connect to the Vision Store, get a hold of John's books. And, of course, John, just uh, capping off here, uh, creationresearchlive.net, a new That's streaming a n- channel. new streaming channel and our newest documentary on climate change. A lot of interest in that today. A newest documentary on climate change, global warming and the nonsense that follows as a result, filmed live in Iceland. Uh, great stuff. It's now available and it's on our streaming channel, creationresearchlive.net. Well, John Mackay, the creation guy, founder of Creation Research, creationresearch.net. John, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us today on 2020. Good on you, mate. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 